Father Harrison. Father Anthony. I have a, um, a proposition. Okay. Not a proposition, maybe more of a reflection. Uh, or just it's a personal opinion that is also true. Okay. I believe that coffee, at its best, should be treated like a ritual. Okay. It should, there should be time taken in the mm-hmm. preparation. There should be time for enjoyment. Uh, so that's why, for me, a, a latte or uh, a cappuccino is is the ideal coffee for, for me. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I've got this beautiful espresso machine. So mm-hmm. I ground the beans that producer Nick roasted for me. That's not part of his job as podcaster, but he, he does that for me. And then the interplay between the milk and the coffee beans, and you take your time, and it's a beautiful experience. That's what coffee is meant to be for me. Okay. Coffee at its most grotesque, at its rudest, at the most crude and twisted version, is you turn coffee, which is supposed to be an experience, and even I would say maybe even a good in of itself, you take that and you turn it into a tool, something to be used. It becomes uh, a medicine, a transportation device for caffeine. Okay. That being said, God in his great mercy will allow the second form of coffee for those who are weak. Okay. And right now... To my shame, but for the sake of the podcast, I am drinking Keurig coffee. Oh. Not just Keurig coffee, but this is this is a Starbucks K-cup that has added to it twice the amount of caffeine. Wow. Right? Did you that hear that? Did, did, you hear, did, you, did you hear that? That was my respect going down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt it. Yeah, but like yeah. I, I can't. <laughs> I have no one to blame. <laughs> I have no one to blame but myself. Yes. But like I said, because we live in a fallen world, things we get live messy. In a, we live in a society. Indeed, we do. We live in a society <laughs> where they, they, they don't care about you, Father Harrison. They, they force you to work. They force right. you to podcast. That's right. I am alienated and drinking this terrible <laughs> extra caffeine Starbucks coffee from a K cup. But I do that so I can be energized and awake. For clerically did, speaking, did the shot work with the last episode? The shot of it, espresso, it, helpful, helpful. Uh, but I think this is what it's needed to kind of put me over the top right now. So I'm, I'm okay. sipping it right now. It's you mean so talking about liturgy and Ratzinger just didn't put you over the top? It was great, actually. I'm definitely more energized. It was a great conversation. <laughs> I loved it. That was one of our. That was a good podcast. Solid. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, with coffee, I I just I use my Nespresso, not espresso, Nespresso with the N at the beginning. The Nespresso, but that makes a solid espresso. It's really good coffee. If if you like if you're like if you like espresso or even some of the and you don't yeah. want to go all in on a, a real espresso machine, yeah. to be perfectly honest, the Nespresso, it's it's a good but device. I, I do I do their drip coffees because I want something what? a mug of something. Yes, I want a mug of something, right? See, I that, want, that's I want, good too. I want to gaze at Nick's face when I'm drinking coffee. Oh, because you have the Nick, producer, no, no finally, uh, the I, Nick coffee cup. Yes, I got two of them. So that's very exclusive, listeners. We, we're, we're not yes. giving those out. Sorry. No, no. So Nick will do this thing. I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast before. <laughs> for the last, I don't know, four years or whatever, he'll buy in bulk a Christmas gift for all of his friends. Yeah. And it'll be some sort of item with his face on it. Yeah. So, like, I think two years ago, it was shot glasses with yeah. his face on it. And then, like, this year, he bought, like, 100 coffee mugs with his face on it. Yep. <laughs> and he gives it to people. And it's the most yep. hilarious thing. It's awesome. Oh. But, uh, but no, but Nespresso does, it's, it's 
they have all these different types of strengths of coffee you can get. Uh, it is just really, really good coffee. Now, before all the environmentalists come after me, you can easily recycle the pods at different uh, home um, decor. I forget what the name of the place is right now. Home Outfitters. They'll take the pods and return them to Nespresso to recycle them. Well, that's important because so, you live in Canada. If you don't recycle, they arrest you, right? In BC, probably, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah. What I thought. So, so that's what that's my and it, I like it because it doesn't. Uh, I'm not awake enough in the morning usually to be able to function around a coffee pot. So the <laughs> the most I can do is fill my container with water and put a pod into the machine. Yeah, and and that's it. And, and that's all I'm going to be able to do in the morning. I'm not going to grind up some beans and go through a whole process and do a pour over. I'm too tired. Too yeah. tired. That's totally fair. <laughs> I want I want I want some caffeine. So yeah. that's that's so, my method. I need the caffeine for the podcast, of course. But also after this, I am traveling down to Gibsonia, PA, to give a theology on tap talk. Nice. And I think I think the topic is entitled something about using social media without losing your soul. Mm-hmm. So I gave a, a talk a few maybe a month ago, and that was priesting on social media. So it's more yeah. about my experience. Yeah. But this will be fun because it'll give me a chance to test out some of the ideas that we'll be talking about at uh, Notre Dame in a few oh, weeks. Oh, nice. Awesome. So I'm excited awesome. for that. So, so that's what I'm doing. So is your talk, I, I think I know what your talk's going to be. Mm. Just use a blockchain and you'll be okay. That's not going to not be part <laughs> of my talk. That's definitely going to be in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No regrets for using the blockchain. Oh, man. Hey, guys, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. And I'm Father Harrison. Uh, I got to I gotta say thank you to some people, and many oh. of them are anonymous. I just, I, I was, I, I threw this idea at a few friends. I said, you know, is it okay to ask for people to help me buy some books for my research? Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, totally. You put out content all the time. You know, if people appreciate their content, if they want to support that, that's great. Yeah. Like at this, at the moment of recording, 45 books for my wish list got ordered. That's amazing. That's so nice. And I just got to say thank you to everyone. Cause I mean, I've said thank you on Twitter, but in case you listen, I know some of them are podcast listeners and I was just like kind of overwhelmed at the generosity of people. And it, it always reminds me, despite all the junk that happens out there on Twitter sometimes, yeah. in the end, there are good people out there and it's a good place. And I am super appreciative because that's going to save me. Uh, a lot of money not having right. to buy all those books. <laughs> well, that's wonderful because it's a few things, a few things. Yeah. One, Father Harrison, people people love you because you're great, but also you, through your Twitter stuff, through this podcast, you've done a lot of uh, stuff to, to help them along their spiritual journey, right. but that's good. Right. But also there's this other aspect that I found very true. If if Catholics know where their money is going to and they trust yeah. you, they're, they are very generous, I have yeah. found out. And so yeah. they know you're going to use these books. You're going to not just produce content but become a better priest through your theological reflections and all this stuff. So I think they're happy to do that, which is – that's cool. That's good stuff. Yeah. So it's just – it's really – and they're, they're going to be used. I'm already kind of putting a calendar together with the ones that have already arrived. My poor secretary, she goes – she goes I, – she, I, I wasn't around yesterday. I was at a meeting, mm-hmm. and I get back, and I, I – I talked to her this morning. She goes, because she opened, she opened all my packages. And I was like, ah, what? But then she was like, there's just so many packages. It was like impossible <laughs> to stack it all. I said to her, I'm like, I'm sorry. I just, I wasn't. Anyways, I'm very grateful to people. 
and I promise you it will not only go towards the good of the studies, but I it'll probably produce some good content on See, the Twitter. That's why I'm and excited. on here. And on not here. for the Twitter thing. I hate it when you do Twitter threads. Well, I, I hate it and love it because it usually means something's brewing in your brain that right. will get fleshed out in the podcast. <laughs> so but I get a little upset like don't waste this stuff on the Twitter. We we've got right. no content but after you read all these books, I think I'm just going to take a break and have you do all the topics for like six months. I think that's, you know, <laughs> what we have to do. There we go. But yeah, it's going to be fun. I There's a few books in there I'm especially excited to uh, to read. So thank can you, you give, everyone. Can you give like maybe uh, a top three books you're excited to read? Yeah. So one, um, I have them. So one, is, I've, uh, oh, I think it's called GIF. Oh, wait, actually, I have it right here. So. I got a picture of it right here. Yeah. Gift and communion. John Paul II's Theology of the Body by Yaroslav Kupchak OP. So, Father, I I went to the Tertio Millennial Seminar in 2007. Oh, uh, what seminar? Tertio Millennial. So, that's Latin for third millennium. Ah. And it was in held in Krakow, Poland. It was a three course on Catholic social teaching, John Paul II's philosophical and theological anthropology, and concepts and international relations theory and concepts of a three, free society. And one of our professors there that week was Father Yer. Those three weeks was Father Yaroslav Kupchak, who talked to us about the philosophical anthropology of John Paul II. And I still read my notes from that lecture every year. That's how good he was. That's how good he was. So when I found out that this book was not only out there, it's actually been out for like five years, but I I was like just hunting around for stuff for my thesis. So I was Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, this book is going to be a ton of fun. Uh, The second one I'm really... Uh, uh, this is something that a lot of friends have been recommending. It's called Homo Abyssus, the drama of the question of being by Ferdinand Ulrich. And it's essentially one of the, it's meant to be, it's apparently from what everyone's been telling me about the bits they've been reading about it and everything. It's one of the great metaphysic books on metaphysics of the 20th century. So, uh, and then the third one is actually, um, it's from a professor that actually father Dan pointed me towards him. Mm-hmm. Because uh, he was he was uh, Father Dan's professor in um, seminary, and it's called the Theology of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth: The Christocentric Shift by Emery de Gaulle. He's a Ooh. he's a priest who teaches at Mundelein. Mm-hmm. So those are probably the top three. But I mean, like, there's a there's a lot of I got I'm going to be doing a lot of reading for the next while. So uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I can't yes. help but be a little disappointed. Because none of those books were by St. Thomas Aquinas. So to supplement your reading of lack of Aquinas, let's go into the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. I mentioned a Dominican. Yeah. Okay. You get you get you get partial credit. I mean, Dominicans are like essentially formed by, and then yeah. Yeah. So get partial yeah. credit. That's fine. But okay, okay. I'll take partial credit. Father Harrison. Uh, yes. I am now convinced oh. that yes. we live in the strangest timeline. 
first of all, there's there's only one timeline because that's just yes. how it works. Sorry, yeah. friends. But it's definitely the strangest possible one. Okay. Because we have we have we have um, Kanye West, who is, <laughs> oh, is who has stopped God. writing secular music and apparently is just doing religious music now. Yep. Has it, has that album dropped yet? Maybe it has. No, nope, I don't. I don't think it has yet. But that's, I mean, utterly fascinating. Yeah. And we have, we have for the first time on the show, <laughs> a tweet from Kim Kardashian West at Kim Kardashian. And um, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Thank you, Armenia, for such a, a memorable trip. So blessed to have been baptized along with my babies at Mother Sea of Holy, ooh, this word, Holy Etchmedzinzin. I'm sorry. I apologize for that reading. Wow. Um, Armenia's main cathedral, which is sometimes referred to as the Vatican of Armenian Apostolic Church. This church was built in 303 AD. And it's two images of her and one of her daughters uh, in veils. And the the Kardashians are they're Orthodox. Catholic? They're Orthodox. Orthodox. Real close, now, though. Apparently, the Armenian church is like really close to communion with Rome. Oh, my goodness. So just think about this, folks. It could be that the Kardashians and Kanye will one day be Catholic. Yeah, I think they're on their way, man. And this is a good thing. This should be yes. celebrated, right? Yes, so, I So, like, I totally get, like, these, I mean, for example, these pictures, I mean, they're they're very, like, done up and all this stuff. And But it, imagine, like, your entire life is in front of a camera and stuff. So there's going to be some of that attachment. Sure, sure, sure. But look, this family is getting baptized. This family is growing closer to Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, our, all of our journeys toward holiness, toward God, they're at different paces. Mm-hmm. They're all in God's providence. When someone gets baptized legitimately and is searching out for Christ, this is a good thing. This is great. I love it. Now, uh the question becomes mm. there is an important question here Ooh. who oh wait never mind there is no important question <laughs> maybe hopefully nick will edit that out i got, I got something mixed up in my head okay. i just but okay it should be celebrated amen yes Okay, uh, from at Sister Helena Burns, yeah, at Sister Helena Burns, Sister Helena Burns. I need to pray more. Period. That is a mood. Except she sent it out like fifteen times on her TL. That exact oh, same phrase over and over again. Yes, and she's not wrong, folks. I need to pray more too. Like I'm mm-hmm. just. We need to be saints, and the only way to become saints is to develop an intimacy with God. The only way to overcome temptation is to develop an intimacy with God. The only way to f- discover your mission and vocation is to develop an intimacy with God. And if we're not developing that, then we are not going to be saints. Absolutely. And if we want God's love in our life, we need to pray all the time. And we need our parishes to become schools and homes and oases of prayer. Absolutely. Prayer is so important. Yeah, so here, here's a little prayer tip. I forget who said this, but it's it's great. If you want to pray always, mm-hmm. you have to pray sometimes. Hmm. So I think it's very yep. important to have your dedicated time of prayer, whatever that looks like for you. If that yep. looks like the examine at the end of your day, yep. or if that looks like a holy hour, if you have the, the, the privilege of, of praying a holy hour or a holy half hour or whatever yep. else is for you, you have to make that the kind of the center of your day. That is the one thing that... You sacrifice other things for you pray sometimes. Yeah, and it's from that place of prayer 
that throughout the day, like uh, if you're driving in your car and you're like, mm-hmm. you can turn off the radio and pray the rosary mm-hmm. or just talk with God. Time yeah. in, cars in America, for many Catholics, become little chapels because it's their time to pray. Now, now, I will also say, like, don't go into ecstasy or something in prayer <laughs> when you're driving your car. All right. You can't do don't deep, levitate. No, you can't do deep contemplative prayer when you're in the car because then people will die and we're all gonna die sometimes but the point is okay um but it's from those like little nexuses of prayer that then your whole day can be filled with other kinds of prayer so that's my one little prayer tip. my my little tip is always if you aren't praying every day start five minutes a day yeah and it sounds simple but it sounds simple but the and the well the idea is do it consistently for three weeks Mm -hmm. and then add five more minutes yeah do that consistently for three weeks add five more minutes and this it's because prayer is also a habit yeah and so prayer is not you know if you think okay i'm just going to go do three hours of three hours in adoration every day all of a sudden no no you're not no you're not because you're a creature of habit you need to develop habits in order to desire them more you need to build the desire for more prayer and that's only going to happen by doing something consistent and let's say you're praying those five minutes and you want to pray more stop because that builds up your desire Mm-hmm. And then by the end of those three or four weeks, you're going to want to add more time because you've, because, the, and also remember that the devil will actually take good intentions in your heart to try and twist them to do something uh, to help you get discouraged in the end. Yes. So disclaimer, uh, all of our, our prayer advice is always uh, superseded by a spiritual director if you have one. Yep. Uh, but also like that, that aspect of praying five minutes a day, that's also important for the sake of humility because like you said there can be this desire we we want to pray more and mm-hmm. so we're used to waking up maybe at seven o'clock in the morning and going to bed at like 10 or whatever right and then like oh i want to pray more so i'm gonna wake up at four o'clock in the morning do a holy hour you will destroy yourself like exactly. let's be honest about where you are if you're not yeah. praying at all to jump into something big and the thing is like god knows where you're at and that like simple five minutes in humility that's going to mm-hmm give you far more blessings than this prideful taking of of a giant prayer schedule start small and realize that holiness is not an achievement yeah it's not an award it's this relationship with god and you begin small and that's okay and that's good yes amen all right so this is from uh jake at jake online of spicy nugs podcast fame and he says our parish has started providing zero interest loans to low income people to keep them from being exploited by payday lenders. And I'm heart eyes emoji, heart eyes emoji, heart eyes emoji. This is mm-hmm. delightful. Mm-hmm. And this is a very Catholic sort of thing. So even if you think about like Knights of Columbus, they, they got together to help support families because getting like life insurance was hard for Catholics at the time. Or mm-hmm. even like this, providing zero interest loans to help out people. This is a good thing for a parish to do if the parish has the resources to do it. This is very exciting. And I am, if there's one thing, there's there's few things I hate in the world more than payday loan centers. Mm-hmm. Because the interest is um, meant to keep people coming in. Yeah. And, and that's I have the sin of what? Si- no, oh my gosh. Usury. Thank you. Man, I'm losing words lately. It's that's okay. Good. I've got my coffee in me. I'm ready to go now. Yeah, that's usury. <laughs> and it is usury. Payday yep. loan places are usury. Because if you read the replies to Jake's tweet, 
<laughs> there are some people who miss the importance of Christian charity. In the end, Christian charity does not buy, does not play itself into any one economic system. Yes. And it will always be a judgment against any form of economic system that exists because it judges by charity and not by an ideology. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also reminded me, I, I tweeted this back at him, um, in Canada in the prairies, I think, I want to say it was between the 40s and the 70s, a lot of parishes would create like essentially community banks to do something similar so that people could get started with their businesses, with farming and stuff like that. And the churches would use their extra income to help people start off either at incredibly low interest or no interest at all so that they could get started. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, cool. Uh, All right, from... I actually cannot read their handle uh but at uh type uh at tiberius natator anyways uh he's got an image of saint alphonsus Liguori, and he says that saint alphonsus Liguori was once chided by a friend who thought him too liberal in giving money to perhaps undeserving beggars replying the sainted bishop said it is better that i should be cheated into giving too much than i should lose my soul by giving too little Because this is the perennial question for many Catholics. Yep. Is that like, if I give money to a beggar, is it going to go to addiction? Is it going to this? Therefore, I don't do it. I don't care. You well, sorry. Let me phrase that. I do care. Mm-hmm. But who 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 are you to judge? Right. Right. And what have you done with your freedom? Go on. You've you you've missed you've mishandled it and has been given to you freely. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's true. Yeah, we misuse all uh, tons of gifts that God has given us. Yeah, our time for prayer we misuse. Um, yeah. our and intellectual gifts or, or, or more horrible things. things. Uh huh. Right. So if you who have used something far more precious have mishandled it, who are you to judge whether someone who will use something so of so little value? Yeah. So misuse it. Uh, this is how I, I kind of approach it because I've, I, I struggled with this for a while. And I kind of just kind of realized, you know what? You know, me giving money to someone on the street, um, mm-hmm. that's between, you know, I give that to him, that's between me and God. And mm-hmm. what, how he uses it, that's between him and God or her yep. and God. Like yep. it's, it's the consequences aren't necessarily up to us. What's up yes, to exactly. us is whether or not we show love and charity. And there's a bunch of different ways to do that. And yep. there's, and totally get, but like, I think that the important thing with this with this discussion is that you really have to search your heart because mm-hmm. you can come up with all kinds of good reasons, bad reasons to do something, but the question is where is your heart and your actions will reflect that. Anyways, uh, there's a story though. Uh, when I was I did a CPE in Toronto, and there is a priest who I lived with there who I, I I'm forgetting his name now. Oh, I want to say it was Father Ed. Anyways, he uh, he worked with the little brothers as a good shepherd uh, at their soup kitchen, mm-hmm. and he did all the counseling stuff and everything because it's a very large operation there. And I got actually I got two stories because I think they're very telling yeah, uh, for this type of person. Um, the first is that he was actually known as the five dollar priest. Oh, <laughs> because if someone went up to him and said, "Hey, Father, do you have any change to spare?" Yeah, he'd give him five bucks. Mm-hmm. Now, apparently, the vicar for clergy. Uh, was receiving complaints about this and he went to him he says you know ed i know you're i know it's a good thing you're doing but i have to ask you out of obedience to stop doing this wow and so ed said so you want me to stop giving five dollars yeah i need you to stop doing that 
okay, no problem. He started giving out 10 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's obedience, folks. That's obedience. But this other story, and this is, I think, gets to the heart of it. He, Because he, his main work was with people with addictions. Mm-hmm. So he gave a... Uh, there was a guy in his program who suddenly got up and left one day and no one knew where he went. Yeah. And Father Ed's just driving one day around Toronto and he comes up to like a stoplight and he, he looks to his left. There's a guy baking and it turns out to be the guy who left the program. So he rolls down his window. They start chatting for a bit. And Father Ed says, listen, all I got is two bucks, but here you go. And he drove off. And the next day, Father Ed shows up to the office to the program mm-hmm. and that guy's back oh nice and so they go through the program for the day and he pulls the guy to the side he says why did you come back and father, the guy said father you knew exactly what I would do with that two dollars but you gave it to me anyways and I realized in that moment that I couldn't do this anymore wow so and I think that was the other point was don't just throw money in a hat acknowledge right. the person yeah, right. Exactly. Acknowledge that there's a person there. I think it wasn't just the act of money; it was also his acknowledging of that person in that moment. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. is all of that together. This he knew this man intimately, yeah, and yet he trusted his freedom to do the right thing in the end. And I think I think Saint Alphonsus is right. It's better to be cheated here than in eternity. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Do you have Do you have another tweet for us? That was the fourth one, wasn't it? Was that? Oh yeah, because yeah, you no. no. Yeah. yeah, you did yeah. that one. You're right. Yeah. We're good. Hey. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. Um, hey. So hey. Hey. This, is, <laughs> this is mostly because I love the bumper so very much. It's time for the index. Oh, no. It's finally here. The index. No. Not my books. Not my books. When the index comes to town. We take your books and we burn them. <laughs> so full disclosure, well, I'm I'm gonna do a little something from uh, Ratzinger's. It's a book of uh, homilies that he wrote about uh, Genesis, and it's called In the Beginning: A Catholic Understanding of the Story of Creation and the Fall. And we might just do this first homily. Uh, maybe later mm-hmm. on we'll do the other ones. But basically, there's no way this book is on the index because it's Ratzinger and we love him so very much. I just love the bumper and I'm talking about a book. That's why we're using it. Are you okay with this, Father Harrison? I am totally okay with this. And it's <laughs> and hey, it's more Ratzinger. It's more Ratzinger. There can Again, never be enough Ratzinger, Ratzinger speaking. <laughs> exactly. So um, actually, I, I went back to this book. Because um, as we talked about in our last podcast, uh, producer Nick has been bothering us about doing a episode on worship. And I was like, I think right. I remember something Ratzinger talking about worship in this book. But I read the first chapter, which is his first homily. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do this because this is great. Uh, because I think very often, or for example, whenever I, I, I talk with um, either high school students or grade school students, if I go to the... Um, the Catholic school, and I ask them, you know, go ahead and ask me any sort of question. Uh, very often I'll get questions about Adam and Eve, creation, evolution, the fall. Mm-hmm. Have you experienced the same thing? All the time. All and the often, time. And often for teenagers, that will be their excuse for not believing in God. Right. Like, 
uh, are we allowed to believe in evolution? It's like, yeah. yeah. But there's still this really weird um, thing out there, probably thanks to our evangelical brothers and sisters, that like scripture has to be read absolutely literally and that we can't believe in evolution and all this other stuff. Yeah. Well, fundamentalists will say. Fundamentalists, right, right, right. So, yeah. Not all evangelicals are are like that. True, true. (laughs) Very true. But yeah, but, there's a lot yeah. of questions. Like, do we have to? Be- How do we read Genesis? Do we believe yeah. it literally? Was right. there an actual Adam and Eve? Do Catholics believe in evolution? Yeah, all this kind of stuff. So Ratzinger tackles a lot of these things, and let's just uh, let's just dive dive right in. Sounds good. So I'll read this opening quote from Ratzinger because I always find it funny. This parody of Ratzinger that's out there that he's like this this mean old man, the um, Panza Cardinal. Yeah, right? God's Rottweiler and all this stuff. Yeah. And if you read his writing, what strikes you so often over and over again is how deeply he loves God and his whole life is a search for the face of God. And it's so mm-hmm. beautiful. So, uh, opening quote from this homily, which is great. Uh, so, we, it's uh, first part was you reading from Genesis chapter 1. Yeah. And he says, these words, which with which Holy Scripture begins, always have the effect on me of the solemn tolling of a great old bell, which stirs the heart from afar with its beauty and dignity and gives it an inkling of the mystery of eternity. For many of us, moreover, these words recall the memory of our first encounter with God's holy book, the Bible, which was opened for us at this spot. It at once brought us out of our small child's world, captivated us with its poetry, and gave us the feeling of immeasurability of creation and its creator. So he begins with this like beautiful kind of poetic experience of reading this text the first time, likely as a child or as a young person. So that's how he begins. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got we've got some some problems with with Genesis, right? Because right. you got the story of Adam and Eve. You have the story of creation being made in seven days of a separation of light and dark. How do you have days before the sun's created and all this stuff? And this is a problem. Okay, so let's begin with enlightenment type problems. Okay. I just want to talk about this a little bit. Oh, no, 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 I don't. Nick, fix all this. Okay, so the question <laughs> is then, these beautiful words, are they true? Do they mean anything or are they just poetry, right? Right. Or are they simply words from an infant age of humanity, which we look back to with nostalgia, but can actually never return to? So the idea of the creation story, it's beautiful, but now we're older, we're wiser, we have more science now. And this is a problem with Enlightenment stuff. And there's this idea out there that now, after the Enlightenment and with all of our technological advances, we're just better humans, Father Harrison. We're just Hmm. smarter. Have they met Father Anthony? Have they even have they even met me? <laughs> uh, but yeah. I think this is, yeah. this is a big thing because like human beings are always human beings, mm-hmm. and to be honest, we don't change much. Nope. So in the ancient world, there are geniuses and scholars in a certain sense and poets. Mm-hmm. And so, I think we should not underestimate the ancients' connection with the world. And we can't underestimate the experience of being intimately tied to the world. Just the mm-hmm. experience of being able to go out every night and seeing the stars clearly, which we can't do with all of our light pollution and stuff. Right. Or that your entire livelihood is affected by the changing of the seasons. Like for me, 
It got colder outside. You know what that means for Father Anthony? That means it's cardigan season, baby. And I've got <laughs> heating in my house, and I love it. It doesn't change my life in an intense way. Yeah. But in the ancient world, you may live and die depending on, on the season. And mm-hmm. that's going to give you a perspective and experience that many of us lack. And that shouldn't be yeah. underestimated. Right. At the same time, this is also an enlightenment type of thing, we shouldn't romanticize the ancients, right? Because right. there's this also idea out there that in the ancient world or prehistory, human beings were pure and perfect and weren't burdened by technology. Yeah. And that's a load of hooey as well. So it's important to respect yeah. their perspective but not romanticize them. Well, and it's also about real... Like, I've been um, doing some... I've been kind of doing some summary reading on, in, philosophy, in Greek philosophy right now. And... Mm-hmm reading about the pre-Socratic philosophers, we would look at them and it would say, oh, you guys are idiots. You think the whole world is constituted by air or right. fire as the main element. But people don't realize that if they didn't struggle with these initial questions of how they perceive the world, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be able to be where we are now with the elements, right? Like, Absolutely. Like, without understanding like the difference between, yeah, all these things. I mean, for the first 300 years of philosophy, they didn't even believe in the soul. Everything was purely material. Mm-hmm. Right. So all these things, all these developments, even in the life of philosophy, they, 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 yeah, these people may not see things the way we see them, but we also wouldn't be able to see them if they didn't make these things, if they didn't wrestle with these questions in the first place. Absolutely. And we just kind of presume, oh, well, they don't know all the things we know now, therefore they're dumb. No. And in many ways, they're actually, they can even actually sometimes be smarter than we are, or at least more perceptive of the world as it is Yeah. because of, of, of different reasons. But in the end, it's like, no, they're not dumb. They're not no. perfect. Right. Oh, no, no, no. Hey, listen, like when you hear about um, the relationships between uh, Greek men and younger boys in Greek society, no, it's not all good. No, right? no, it's not. But, 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 but it, it's, but there's, but they're also not idiots. Right. So, Father Harrison, you go yes. into a, a classroom, a religious ed classroom. Yeah. Uh, somebody asks you about Adam and Eve and such in Genesis. Yeah. You've got two minutes to give them an answer. How do you tell them how to read Genesis? I begin by asking them, how do you read a history textbook? And they'll give me the answer, okay? Mm-hmm. And your math textbook, okay? How do you read Harry Potter, okay? Now, when you read Harry Potter, are you treating it like you read your history textbook? And they'll say, well, maybe there's a few similarities, but not really. And what about your math textbook? Well, absolutely not. in your biology textbook? No. Well, what's the difference? And they'll kind of explain it. I said, good. So there are, you read a book a different way, right? They said, yes. Now, is the Bible one book or is it many books compiled as one book? And often they'll, they'll, they think it's one book. They'll yeah. say, no, no, actually, no. It's, it's many books, actually, and Genesis is one of them. So we need to read Genesis a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so I say, and so then I explain to the kids even the idea of what myth means, right? That myth is not an invented reality to um, lift up a lie. But I'll say it writes a story that though it never happened in history as it's being, to- as it's being told, it reveals the truth about what happened in history yeah, through a form of story. And the kids all get that, no problem. Yep. Because if you show them, if you help them understand that actually when you're reading something, you experience it as different forms of literature and reading, mm. then they can easily perceive that Genesis no longer. And I also say to them, I said, well, and then even actually the way Genesis is written, part of it is meant to be a story. And the rest of it actually meant to be history. Like after yeah. chapter 11, it's meant to be history. Mm-hmm. But the first 11 chapters are meant to be a story to reveal the truth about who we are as human beings. Excellent. Perfect. And and Ratzinger would agree with this. Woo-hoo. And he, he begins by talking about this sort of thing that, you know, Genesis is not a science textbook. It's meant to gleam religious experience. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, the idea of myth, it's telling a truth. I would say also with myth, it tells a truth and it also reflects a culture's understanding of what the world is too. Yeah. So uh, a myth might not reveal like truth truth, but how a certain culture sees the world. Right. So just that little addendum. Yeah. Um, so what is, so you have to distinguish the form, what the story is saying, from the content that is portrayed, right? right. So the content, it's meant to portray that God created the world, that the sun and the moon are not deities, they're, they're lamps in the sky, right? The world was not created out of violence, but out of love. The world is ordered and understandable. There's a plan for this. God is in control. You can approach this God. God is in control? God is in control. And God is in control. You, God is in control. God and is in control. you need not have servile fear of him, okay? <laughs> but then Ratzinger, and this is one of the best parts about him, is that whenever there's a problem or a question, he goes all in on it, right? He yeah. doesn't, he never straw man someone. And so he says, okay, that's all true and good, but isn't there a problem with this? When we distinguish images from what the images mean, why mm-hmm. wasn't this said earlier? If this is true, then why is Galileo put on trial? Mm-hmm. Isn't this a kind of trick, right? Now that this has been proven that there isn't a firmament or whatever, is this something that the church kind of hides behind? Right. And behind these questions, there's this fear that we're just going to keep letting go of more and more parts of scripture for the sake of scientific discovery. And eventually, maybe there's nothing left to hide behind. And with this whole image and difference from what images mean, can't this be done with Jesus' miracles as well? Right. And we see this in certain uh, theological strains throughout history yeah. of explaining away, no, 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 the, the, the loaves and the fishes, it's about sharing. And most yeah. troubling, can't this be done with the cross and the resurrection? Right. And indeed it has been done, where people yeah. see the resurrection is, this is a, this is a, a psychological awakening, a yep. reminder of the divinity that's sort of within us already. And the apostles had this psychological awakening, and it's from this truth that they discover within themselves that they go out and spread the gospel. This is a problem because, indeed, our, our religion is very historical, right? Yeah. And if you throw out the resurrection, as as St. Paul says, if you don't believe in the resurrection, we are a bunch of dum-dums. We are the greatest fools, right? Yeah. So... Um, one of the things I'm starting to realize more and more about Ratzinger is how much he addresses and quote unquote attacks at the problem of, of liberal views of scripture. Yes. And that's what he's doing here again. He's, he's, he's trying one of his, I would say one of his, he has, I would say almost, I I would say three core projects in his whole intellectual life. Uh Um, the church is one of them the nature of the church. The second is the liturgy and the third is scriptural interpretation. Mm-hmm. These are his three hobby horses that he always is going after. And, and so he's going after Boltman, right? Yeah. Uh, Boltman's ideas that he's trying to get behind the real meaning of the text and that the text, um, because it's, it's part of history, there's a whole history behind what, how it's composed and everything to the point though, that the text actually loses any real meaning. Right, and so what Ratzinger is kind of going after here with all of this is to say no, there, there's actually not only a meaning that is revealed through the historical critical process, which he sees value in, mm-hmm. but not, but it's not in and of itself. What he's trying to always say the the book, the books of the Bible are actually a book of faith, right? And so we need a hermeneutic or a lens of faith to understand Scripture first that doesn't discount the history 
of things, but recognizes that it's not a historical document, but it's also meant to be God's way of revealing himself to us as well. And so this is what he's attacking against, and he's been doing it ever since he's been doing this. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's that's yeah. the point of this first homily is, okay, how yeah. do we read scripture? How does it actually mean something? How is it bound together? It w- Give us something like deeper than, and he, uh, he has this quote, which is fun. He says, quite a number of people have the abiding impression that the church's faith is like a jellyfish. No one can get a grip on it, and it has no firm center. Like, we're always shifting the goalposts of Scripture. He says, that can't be true, right? So what is this firm, solid hermeneutic that we can read all Scripture through? And he begins talking a little bit about borrowing from the historical critical method. Right. And this is, you know, we've had discussions about, I've come around to this. He does use it well, and it's not all bad, right? Good. <laughs> so the Bible is not written from beginning to end like a textbook. It wasn't that Genesis was written first, and then this that's not how it worked. Uh, yeah. It is rather uh, the echo of God's history with his people. It arose out of the struggles and the vagaries of this history. Mm-hmm. And all through it, we can catch glimpses of the rises and falls, sufferings and hopes, and greatness and failures of this history. Mm-hmm. So it's comes out of this... God, in a sense, because God doesn't struggle, but in a sense, God struggling to reveal himself to his people and his people struggling to receive this revelation from right. God. So right. it's out of the reflection of Israel. It's out of God's revelation. It's time of digestion and interpreting this, sort of what has happened through their history and seeing it in the light that God shines on them, right? So it's yeah. this dynamic process. It's not let's sit down, sit down and write something out. Right, indeed. Exactly. So the the second um, story of creation, um, most scholars would say, is a more ancient one than the first. Right. And it's it's pulled out of this oral tradition, of and this is a big part of what scripture, almost, you know, most of the Old Testament was probably oral tradition stories that were shared and told before it was written down. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if it's this dynamic struggle, if this is this movement, movement, if it's a journey, and that's really what the Old Testament is, a journey, journeys only make sense in the light of their end, right? Mm-hmm. What's the goal? What's the end? And he says, for us Christians, the end is Christ. Mm-hmm. And this is how the Old and New Testaments are linked. He says, the Old Testament represents in its totality an advance toward Christ. Only when it attains to him does its real uh, only when it attains to him does its real meaning, which was gradually hinted at, becomes clear. Thus, every individual part derives its meaning from the whole, and the whole derives its meaning from the end, from Christ. Okay, so shock and awe. The whole point of the scripture is is Jesus Christ. Yeah, and so yes, these different books in the Old Testament can be read. Um, as historical documents, but they don't make sense as a book of faith without Jesus Christ. Yeah. So uh, this is, he's getting, this is all uh, Hebrews 1, 1 to 2, right? Mm -hmm. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So it's not just that everything's pointing to Christ, but he's also the alpha of everything too. He is the beginning of it all. This is also the Colossians. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. For in him, everything was created into being. um, All these things from Colossians 1. This is the idea that Christ... The whole movement is to the incarnation, and its root is also in the word, not just Israel, 
but actually, indeed, all of creation is rooted in the word. This is the New Testament revelation, which then, and this is actually also very interesting. This is why the church fathers almost look to the pagans as a, as a, like the Old Testament of the Gentiles. Yeah, yeah, right? they do. Mm-hmm. They do, because they start to see that, wait, no, all of this, in a way, has, has hints of the word. But we can't understand it. Like, it, it's, um, you can't, you can't, uh, have you ever seen Usual Suspects? No. Oh, oh my gosh! Here, this is analogy is gonna fall flat. Okay, on well you. maybe I can offer something because Tolkien tackles this a little bit. Okay, and his view is that um, the the good myths and the truths uh, yeah. of the writings of the ancient peoples and the pagans, it was God in a sense using images that they were familiar with mm-hmm. to prepare them for the gospel. Is his view, right. which I think yeah. is a nice one. I well, I was just gonna one. say that that uh, so the usual suspects there's a twist ending. Okay, but the twist ending sheds light on the whole film and you see the entire old the whole first part of the film in a totally new light Mm -hmm. because of this thing that is revealed at the end that you would never have understood the first time you saw it right and that and that's what happens with scripture yeah scripture and then really all of history and creation right so yeah yeah. and the thing is this is this is great because this is literally always how the church fathers have read the Bible. Yes. They have always read it in the light of Christ. If you want a, a hermeneutic, a method of, of looking at scripture that has been consistent throughout church history, it's always been in the light of Christ. Yeah. And this is um, this is that sacramental sense of scripture, right? This is, remember when we did our episode on mm-hmm. Jesus Christ today, that essay by Ratzinger, this is what Luther undermines by making the scriptures into a purely historical document that tells us about the past. Instead mm-hmm. of seeing even the script, like even the scriptures themselves, not only pointing towards Christ, but even in a way always being fulfilled in the life of the church, which is why we always use anti- like words from scripture as antiphons and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and responsorial psalms, because it's God's living word yeah. spoken back, always interpreting the church to us. Right. Yeah. This is how we read scripture. Okay. Ooh. Great. So, what does this mean for the creation account? So, he gets into a little bit of history here, and he talks about how basically. Every ancient people had an intuition that there was some kind of creator. The creator takes on different forms. He creates, or it creates, or whatever, creates by different ways. But there's always this like innate sense in ancient humanity that this world is made somehow. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and even like people who had no contact with other people, they they have creation myths. Okay, and there's also keep in mind there are multiple references to creation throughout the Old Testament, right? You see it in the Psalms, you see it in the prophets, and each one of these perspectives on creation they get at a different aspect of it. So Israel throughout its entire history wrestles with what does it mean that God is creator, our God who is God. Mm-hmm. How, what does this mean, right? And there are different times that they focus more on it, and other times where they're wrapped up in their own history as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so a time where like this whole idea of creation gets um, really laser focused on is during the exile. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember uh, the uh, from now uh, from the time this was released two weeks ago, the first reading from the Old Testament on Sunday with Naaman, the king? I'm trying to remember it now. So uh, uh, Naaman, me. the king, he's got leprosy. Oh, and yeah, he goes yeah, yeah, to the yeah, king sorry, of Israel. Yes. This is before the reading. <laughs> and the king freaks out because he can't heal leprosy. So yeah. he sends him to Elisha the prophet. Uh, Elisha says, go bathe in the Jordan seven times. He does. He's healed. And at the end of the story, the king asks the prophet, can I take two mule loads of earth? Because I only want to worship your God. And this is revealing because 
very much so in the ancient world, gods were tied to places, mm -hmm. right? There was a God of a certain area. He wants to worship Israel's God. So he wants to worship Israel's God on Israel's like earth ground, right? right? right. So he has a conversion, but he doesn't fully understand exactly who this God is. Right. But it's revealing of that aspect. So you mm -hmm. have Israel whose history is very much tied to a place. This is the promised land. This mm -hmm. is where you build the temple. You are God's holy people. And now the temple is destroyed and they are cast out from their land. And now they have to wrestle with this reality. And this is all in God's providence. This is one of the reasons why God allows this, not just because right. of their sins, but also to teach them something about himself. So right. Israel wrestles with this idea. Okay, what does this mean? Who is our God if we are exiled? And so in the light of the other creation myths around them, they contrast the story of creation with these other myths around them, right? So their God is not the God of a certain land or certain area. Their God is God of all of creation. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Ratzinger contrasts um, the Israel creation myth with the creation myths around Babylon at the time. And so roughly there's this creation myth of basically there's this war between a dragon and a god the god kills the dragon, and that dead body of the dragon is the earth. Right. And human beings come out are made from the blood of that dragon, yeah. and their job is to clean up the corpse of that dragon, which is earth. Yeah. Now, oh my goodness, that's a crazy myth, right? Yep. But if you if you're real honest and you don't have an idea of who the god of Israel is, isn't it doesn't it seem like this cruel world is the body of a dead dragon? Mm -hmm. If you look at human beings and all their sinfulness, doesn't it seem like our blood is dragon blood, right? Right. So it's their myth out of their experience of the world. And Israel contrasts that. It's like, no, 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 we weren't made out of violence. We were made out of love. Yeah. This world isn't made out of violence and chaos. It's ordered. Yeah. God creates it. God's in control. And they experienced this by being rescued from the exile. Yes. Because... They shouldn't have been. Everything was saying they should. They will be away from Israel forever. Yeah. But in fact, God's like, no, no, I'm going to rescue from Babylon. And they're mm -hmm. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You are really a God who liberates. Right. Right. So reflecting on their past in Egypt and yeah. what's going on now and seeing their God through this lens, they, yeah. they crystallize their understanding of God, which God is revealing to them. So that, this yes. is a dynamic of, yeah. of revelation, right? Yeah. So God reveals himself, but it's we receive that revelation in a kind of human mode, right? So this is also yeah. the aspect of prayer too. God will speak to you in images that you can understand. Yeah. It's still God speaking to you. Yeah. But he's, he's, this is the, uh, um, you receive in the mode of re the receiver. What's that yeah. little? Yep. You receive according to the mode of the receiver. Right. Right. So yeah. like if you, if you want to, <laughs> this is why we use like baby talk sometimes because yeah. we're trying to speak in baby language, right? Because like maybe the baby will understand if I speak in a squeaky voice. Yeah. Psychologically, I don't know how that works, but that's you know, a similar idea. <laughs> Just um, like that. So uh, Jean Danielou, who's a great theologian of the 20th century, has a great book on the creation story and the Babylonian exile and everything. Mm -hmm. And in this book, though, too, he also brings out this idea then you also see, like, in a way, the book of Genesis is an apologetic against the other nations. Yeah. yeah. Right? Because God is ordering, in every day of creation, God is ordering the sun, the moon, the skies. These are all gods right. in the ancient world. And it's saying, no, no, no. 
it's just a created thing like everything else. There's only one guy in charge, mm-hmm. and it's God himself. And it's a yeah. really amazing thing. You start to see it this way that, wow, Genesis is actually not just offering a worldview, but it's also trying to kind of triumph over opposing worldviews. Yeah, it's aggressive and subversive toward the and, other nations around it. And, and this is it's why a it big actually... F you to the other religions and cultures. It really <laughs> and not is. not just that. Yeah, yeah. Because, and this is where we have to really, this is where I think you have, this is true enlightenment of this tiny little nation in a corner of the ancient Near East mm-hmm. came up with an idea that would be, because it's not just um, a competing theology, it's politically subversive. Right. Because your how you worship and how you relate to the gods determines so much of how you function as a society and in your politics. It would make no s- it makes no sense for them to claim that there is one God who is Lord over all because there's everything about them says otherwise. Yeah. So this comes out of left field and it really actually demonstrates the revelatory power of God to Israel. Mm-hmm. This isn't just some creation they made because and this is, it's another theme of the Old Testament. Always and always when they're left to their own devices, they worship the gods from the other nations. Yeah, exactly. So everything they, they want to be like everyone else and god's like that's a bad idea like you want a king are you sure yeah you want to be like everyone else i don't think you do but you know i'll give it to you uh yeah <laughs> right but this is the whole thing is it, it shows you just how much actually when you start to understand it, it's all this context you realize holy smokes this is revelation mm-hmm. exactly and it's yeah. it's also Enlightenment, too, yeah. in the truest sense. So I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But just just to wrap things up, so yeah. we have the Gospel of, of of John, right? Yeah. And and John is the great theologian, and he becomes a great theologian because he's rested on the heart of Christ. Yeah. And so the first words of his Gospel, he once again takes up this theme of creation, and now he sees clearly because Christ is fully revealed to us, right? Yeah. So he says, in the beginning there was God, and he goes through this whole thing, and finally. All these these myths, these stories, these reflections of Israel, they receive clarity and enlightenment through the gospel and through the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, mm-hmm. right? And we touched on the other things I want to talk about, but um, but to see that this revelation is indeed a true enlightenment, mm-hmm. because like if the moon if the moon is a god, you're not going to land a spaceship on it, right? Because right. that would be sacrilege. If if each if and even the Romans had like really minor deities for like yep. corn and various other things like you you don't dissect that kind of stuff really if this idea and this truth that the world is ordered and reasoned and understandable because it comes from the eternal world word it comes mm-hmm. from eternal reason it comes from logos that opens up the possibility for scientific discovery Absolutely. the whole basis of science is that the world is truly knowable. Yeah, and this is Genesis paves the way for this idea Absolutely. and this Absolutely. understanding. So yeah. faith is reasonable, even if it does surpass reason, because God is logos; He is reason, and He has revealed that this is all part of creation. This is all part of a plan. You can come to know it, and yeah. not just to know scientific truths about the world, but to through looking at the world, you begin to know eternal truths as well about God's right. goodness and God's order. So. At the end of this homily, he kind of wraps up this idea that this isn't just fairy tale or myth making. This is not, and not even just reason, but divine reason. 
right. so this is how we we can see this struggle with understanding what revelation and what creation is this journey of Israel that has culminated in Jesus Christ fully revealing the truth of who we are as human yeah. beings and um, you can talk about and this is what John Paul II does with theology of the human person he goes back to creation to, to see this all as so yes Genesis is a myth but it is also reasonable and shows us um, who God is and who we are and this is a little snapshot of how we read scripture and how we see scripture Mm-hmm. Yep. Amen. And that's not that's not a jellyfish, basically. No, <laughs> that's it's the not. real stuff you can sink your teeth into. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, I think I mean there's a whole bunch of reasons why we approach scripture in a very simplistic way, but I think we uh, especially I'd say we Catholics in North America have to fight tooth and nail to destroy that prejudice. Yes. Um Ratzinger is actually able to it's very interesting. Like the more I read Ratzinger's stuff, like like reading Introduction to Christianity, it was a bestseller. And I read this book, I'm like, man, most people I know would not be able to understand this book. Yeah. I mean, it tells you a whole bunch of things, but it also says, though, that we need to really work to really understand and appreciate where we are, uh, um, where we are, but that we, we still need to try to address this problem. Because if we can't understand books like Introduction to Christianity, which is meant to be an introduction, um, we are going to have it can become very easy for people to just offer a simplistic view of faith and scripture that doesn't deal with the ultimate existential problems of the heart. Yeah. And that's really dangerous because that creates, that's a false God. That is not the God we worship. That is not the faith we've received. That is not the scriptures we read. I'm not saying everyone has to be a theologian, but we need to start to open ourselves up to the revelation of God, which is reasonable. Yeah. And so if you want like a little introduction to Ratzinger, um, this this book that we took this first chapter from, it's like 100 yep. pages long. Yep. Um, and it's a homily. So it's it's more approachable as well. There are a bunch of homilies. Yeah. And if you thought this was a good episode, let us know. Maybe we'll, we'll dive into some of his other homilies. But mm-hmm. for today, I think that's good enough. That's good. Yeah. Awesome. So thanks for listening. Please review, leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at Father Sharapa on Twitter. You can find me at FR Harrison. Contact the podcast and receive updates at ClericalPod on Twitter or email us at clericalspeaking at gmail.com. Peace. God bless.